Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 to 44, the end of Mark 12 here. If you're using one of the pew Bibles there in front of you, it's page 849, page 849 in the pew Bible. And as you make your way there, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in the word this morning. Father, thank you for the words we've just sung as a prayer, Lord, that you would speak. Help us to understand that your word is not from man, though you use men to write it. It's not an invention of individuals, but sovereignly guided and directed by your spirit. And Lord, that this word is your revealed truth to us, reminding us of our sin, our need for a savior, for that savior being Jesus Christ. Lord, how as he has come and he has suffered and served and died, you call us now to live for him. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. Use it to make us more like Jesus, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came, put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. I'm sure we've all had a friend or an acquaintance from time to time who always seemed to pop up when somebody else was buying supper, right? Or they would mysteriously disappear to the bathroom anytime the bill came, right? Hopefully, you're not that person. (laughs) I remember uh, in college, uh, there was a certain individual in our dorm who would always find his way to whatever room had just purchased a pizza and would conveniently find his way with a slice in his hand and would leave just as soon as he showed up. They find a way to weasel their way into getting something and yet weasel their way out of ever having to pay for it. They're all about themselves and what they can get out of the situation or the circumstance. Their focus is on what benefit they can find for themselves. And we laugh at this, especially with food and college kids, because we were all there. Most of us were there at one point and the, the desire for free food. But as we think of life, And we think of circumstances in our life and the opportunity to receive something or to give something, to contribute to a need. How often do we stop and think, what's the least I can do to make it look like I'm doing something, but won't cost me very much, right? What's the least I can do? So maybe you were 18 yesterday and you were cleaning ditches. And you didn't really want to be there, but, well, I shouldn't make an appearance, right? Do you show up late, finish the last 100 yards of road, 
Do you conveniently always find yourself really not in the ditch, but on the shoulder of the road? (laughs) We can easily weasel our way in and out of sacrificing, of really giving effort, of giving or contributing to something that's happening, but still seeking to keep up appearances. This is exactly what is happening here in this account. As we conclude Mark 12, as I mentioned earlier, this section or subsection of the Gospel of Mark really begins back in the end of chapter 8 when Jesus foretells his death and resurrection and he tells the crowd of people, if anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. He says, for whoever will save his life will lose it. And those who seek to, to lose their life will, in a sense, find it or, or be saved in Jesus Christ. And from there, we see these interactions and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and who Jesus is as one to be followed. And this is kind of the capstone here of this section this summary illustration, you could say. We have a positive example and we have a negative example. And it's this big idea that Jesus is reinforcing here. It's this, is that Jesus calls his disciples to sacrificial living, not selfish promotion. Jesus calls his disciples to sacrificial living, not selfish promotion. He does this because he sees the scribes and the other religious leaders who are all about themselves. And he'll explain that. They were known for abusing their position to extort honor and respect and more often than not, some sort of monetary or material gain. But somebody who is truly a follower of Jesus does not promote themselves. They're not all about number one, but rather they seek to live sacrificially. They seek to live as a sacrifice. Whatever one has, it is to be offered to the Lord and to be used by him, even if it costs the disciple much. For life is not about the disciple, but about the one that the disciple follows. So let's look here. We have two points this morning that reinforce this idea of being a disciple of Jesus means that we are called to sacrificial living and not selfish promotion. So let's contrast between the negative and the positive examples. Jesus starts with the negative example in verses 38 to 40. And the big idea here is that selfish promotion or self-promotion leads to judgment. Self-promotion leads to judgment. Verse 38, and in his teaching, so we're continuing this teaching here. Jesus has been in the temple uh, since uh, his entry into Jerusalem. He goes there. This is the last week of his uh, earthly life. Uh, leading up to his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And he's been interacting with people in the temple. And so he's, he's teaching again. And he said, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. This beware is the idea of look out, be on guard. Like listen to my words. Uh, be warned. It's like beware, bridges out. <laughs> Stop, turn around, <laughs> pay attention. Jesus says, beware of the scribes. The scribes, once again, were the experts in the law. We've had a lot of interaction with the scribes here in Mark 11 and 12. These were the religious leaders who were experts in the law. These were the people who were to know the law and to teach the law. 
And it's interesting that Jesus is telling the people to beware of them because these are the people who know the law and who should be teaching it and exhorting the people to, to follow after the Lord and to be mindful of what it means to, to live for God and to honor and to worship him. So they had the position of one who had authority and who should be a, a loving shepherd of the people of Israel. But yet Jesus says, watch out for them. Why? Because of their attitude and their motivation in what they are doing. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in log robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. You might be thinking, I enjoy my bathrobe. What's wrong with this? <laughs> it's not that type of robe. This is a, a robe that was an outer covering that was only really owned by the rich. It was a symbol of, of wealth, of authority, of power. It was a robe that would cover them, and it was uh, something that denoted honor or awe, that they needed to be respected, that they liked long robes. It's the idea of a showy clothing. And they liked greetings in the marketplaces. In the first century, rabbis, as they entered into the marketplaces or the commonplaces, the correct form of respect was to greet them and to greet them with honor. Uh, they didn't come up to you. You went up to them because you should know who they are. And so the scribes, well, <laughs> they liked greetings. Oh, you know my name. Oh, that's very kind of you. Oh, yes. They like to make a show, you could say, in public. They were all about making an appearance. It's like a celebrity status. They had the clothing. They had the, the, the crowds gathering around them in the marketplace. Jesus continues in verse 39. He says, and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So not only do they like to show uh, their position through their clothing, through the crowds and the greetings of the marketplaces, but they love to weasel their way into the best seats in the synagogues. These would be up front facing the congregation or in the places of honor at feasts. These are the people who would receive the best food. They would be served first. They were the honored guests. These were basically people who were important and they wanted these positions. They loved having the best seats and the places of honor at feasts. But we see some of their desires. Verse 40, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. That idea of devour means to consume widows' houses. And, and there's some question, what does this mean? Do they, do they pray upon widows? Do they impose themselves upon a, uh, a widow who is helpless in a sense that they uh, extort her for money and material and food and things like that? And uh, we're not necessarily sure the exact uh, illustration of what that means, but the overall idea is negative. So whether it's extorting them for money or abusing their generosity. Uh, it's definitely in a negative context. And for pretense, make long prayers. Long prayers. If you think I pray long during the pastoral prayer, uh, some historians regard rabbis standing and praying for over an hour in the marketplace. If you remember, Jesus says, don't pray on the corner like the Pharisees, but go to your closet they would publicly make these long, exuberant, flowery prayers 
to draw attention to themselves and to show how spiritual they were. Did they do it for love of God or for love of self? The connotation here is that it was for love of self, to show how spiritual they are, and they should be honored among more, uh, among everyone else. So Jesus gives these characteristics. They desire fancy clothing and, and a popularity, and they desire positions of honor and power at feasts and gatherings, and they, they seek to bring material wealth and prestige to themselves. This is an overall description of what the scribes were like. This is not who were they supposed to be. They were supposed to be shepherds, caretakers, leaders of the people through the law, through teaching and through guiding and, and helping people come to understand. But the summary by Jesus clearly illustrates this, that the scribes are all about self-promotion. Instead of being stewards and shepherds of the nation, they were concerned with only themselves. They completely rejected the law, even though they were experts in it, by their action. And Jesus' warning and judgment is very clear. The last phrase in verse 40, they will receive the greater condemnation. They will receive greater condemnation. So one, they will receive condemnation. They will receive judgment. And Jesus has made that clear throughout his teaching that those who should understand and teach and lead and have all uh, opportunity to know the law and to teach it, but who don't, will bring judgment upon themselves, condemnation. But here it says they will receive the greater condemnation. The idea that it's overflowing, that it's, it, it's even above regular condemnation. Why? Well, they have been stewarded the responsibility to teach the word. And yet they have done it with selfish gain. In James chapter 3, James says, Not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because there is a great responsibility there in teaching and stewarding the word of God. And these scribes had failed. They had failed. Instead of seeking to serve the Lord through their ministry, they served themselves. And what did they bring upon themselves? Greater condemnation. This is important for us to understand. For there is a vein of people, there is a vein of teacher or preacher out there that will use the word of God to their advantage to further themselves or their bank account. They will use the word of God to extort others. There's a lot of examples from history. There's a wonderful and terrible time in religion in America during the 70s and 80s, right? The televangelists and all the scandals and all the, uh, uh, all the, the money laundering and issues and things like that. Even today, there are preachers out there that'll say, the more that you give to me in my ministry the more you will be blessed. Help me buy a private jet and God will bless you. That's not a joke. It really happened. And there are people out there that use the word of God to creep into people's lives, not to encourage them and to help them, but to extort them. These are false teachers. These are just like the scribes here in the first century, in Jesus' time. And Jesus says, watch out, beware of them because their selfish promotion is bringing condemnation and judgment on them. 
So it's a warning for us to think through and to see what kind of person, see the character of the person. There's a lot of junk. There's a lot of good stuff out there on YouTube and the internet. A lot of people you can learn from, but a lot of people as well that well, aren't good. And while you can enjoy those things and you can learn from those things, that's why it's so important to be part of a local church where you know the teachers, you know the preachers, you know their character, whether it's here or another church, to know the ones who are leading and teaching and preaching, to see what kind of manner of life that they live. Do they only promote themselves or do they seek to live sacrificially? Because of their roles as leaders and teachers, the scribes should have known better. But instead, they presented a false piety and sought to abuse the piety of others. And this brings upon judgment by God. One author said this, the greatest sin of humanity being, or excuse me, the greatest sin of human beings is to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's Romans 1. Creation is worshiping itself rather than its creator. The author continues, Pride is the self-deception that we have earned position and power for ourselves and deserve to be recognized for it. And that's exactly what the scribes did. Their pride, it's a self-deception thinking that they have earned the position and the power and the worship that they deserve. And we might think, come on, the scribes should know better. Well, they should. We might think, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. <laughs> but how often, in our own way, do we promote ourselves? I do it. It might not be in a grand way, but it's maybe interaction with my family. I want it this way. It needs to be this way. Why? Because I just want it that way. Maybe it's with friends, or other people. We all do it in different ways. We promote ourselves because we are stuck on ourselves. We're proud. We think we know everything, or we think that we've got it all figured out, or that we are the most important people in our own world. We're not. <laughs> We're not. Self-promotion leads to judgment. Pride brings condemnation. What is what do the, the New Testament writers repeat again and again? Peter does it. James does it. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride not only rejects the authority of God, but it also brings condemnation on us. And it also harms relationships around you. When you are constantly focused on yourself and what you can gain, people will not enjoy being around you. When you're constantly focused on on what you want and what you can get and what brings you pleasure or joy. After a while, it's really not that much fun to be around you. It's not that enjoyable. This is contrary to Philippians 2, where Paul says that we are to have the mind of Christ. And what does that mind look like? It's that we look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Selfish promotion leads to judgment. Ultimately, if we live a life of selfish promotion, if we are in our pride and our sin and we do not humble ourselves, the ultimate judgment is eternity in hell. Judgment forever because of our pride. That's what Satan's going to endure. When all of his followers are going to endure, that's what everyone who does not trust Jesus Christ as their Savior is going to endure. 
because of the pride and sin in their own hearts. Jesus says, beware of these scribes who are not concerned with others and their duty and their stewardship, but rather only themselves. But now we have another illustration, and it's the positive example. We've read the negative of selfish promotion. This is not denying self and taking up your cross. This is denying everybody else and saying, I don't want to bear, bear a cross. This is, this is all about me. That's what the scribes were. But now we see the opposite. We see the, the contrast here in verse 41. It's that sacrificial living costs much. Selfish promotion leads to judgment, but sacrificial living costs much. Verse 41. And he, meaning Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. You might think, this is a little odd, a little creepy. <laughs> uh, is Jesus, you know, opening up the offering boxes to see how much people gave? Things like that. No, the offering boxes, these, these money boxes, were in the treasury, which was in the court of women. The court of women wasn't necessarily only for women, but in the temple, it was the court that the, the last court that the women could go into. So that's how they named uh, the court. So the court of the women wasn't only for women, but it was the court that last court that women could enter into. The next one was the court of men. So the men could go on the next one, court of the priests and into the Holy of Holies. But the offering boxes were there out in public. And there were several of them. And they were shaped kind of like a, uh, an upside-down trumpet bell. You know how a trumpet bell kind of uh, fans out? So there'd be a small top, and then it would fan out into a, a, a coffer, you know, that, that term. And they were made of metal. And so when you put coins in the coffer, you would be able to hear it. Think of Christmas time and the Salvation Army and the people ringing the bells, and you drop, you know, some change into the red bucket, and you can hear it go clink, clink, clink. Uh, think of that on a much grander scale in the temple. And it was out in public, and everyone could see what was happening. And in some senses, it was a very communal activity. People were bringing their offering, and in the presence of others, they gave. They gave. And Jesus witnesses this, and he watches people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. How would he know that? Well, you could hear it. The more you gave, the louder it sounded. And you might be thinking, well, why didn't they write a check? Really wasn't quite the thing back then. <laughs> uh, it'd be mainly coinage. And uh, the more coins you gave, the louder the sound would be. And so it'd be very audible to those listening. And Jesus heard many rich, rich people put in large sums. Praise the Lord. Okay. But then we read of verse 42, a poor widow. And this poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. A couple things here. One, she's a widow. She's already at a disadvantage because her husband had passed away. Her main mean of income was gone. We don't know if there's any other family, but it seems that she was all on her own. More often, she probably lived on the generosity of others. Not only was she a widow, but she was very distinctly poor, Jesus says. She was in poverty. She had hardly anything. But she can't. She comes and she put in two small copper coins. They were copper coins. They were small, about this size. They were basically blank on both sides. It was one of the smallest amounts 
that you could give. She put in two, which make a penny. And that penny was worth about one sixty-fourth of a denarius. So if you remember, denarius is one day's wage for a laborer. So if she puts in one sixty-fourth of that, my footnote says in my, my Bible here, that'd be about, in today's money, a dollar to three dollars. Enough for a small meal. Hardly anything in the grand scheme of things. And she drops in this penny, or uh, the other translations say the mite, right? The widow's mite. And Jesus sees this. He sees this, and what does he do? Well, he calls his disciples. He uses this as a teaching opportunity. And he calls them, and he says, look. Look what happened. He says, truly, I say to you. This is that verily, verily, I say unto you. This is... Uh, an emphasis. Jesus says, this is important. Listen up. Learn from what I'm going to say. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, for she, out of her poverty. She has put everything in she had. Jesus says that this woman, who put in basically two bucks, gave more to the offering than those rich people who came and put in large amounts of money. How can that be? How can that be just from a monetary sense? Well, Jesus says that she gave out of her a poverty while they gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their abundance. They were rich. They were wealthy. God is not speaking against being rich. There's nothing sinful about being wealthy. God uses wealthy people all throughout the New Testament to further the gospel. God uses wealthy people today. It's not about being wealthy. But what is your attitude towards your wealth? They gave out of their abundance, meaning say they were a millionaire. What's $1,000 to a millionaire? Not really that much. Now, what's $10 to somebody who's very poor, who's living from meal to meal? That's a lot. That's a lot. This woman gave out of her poverty. She knew she hardly had anything, but yet her desire was to worship the Lord through giving. And she gave basically almost all that she had to live on without respect to the cost to herself. She wasn't there calculating, well, what's the least amount that I can give and still look good? What's, the, what's the, the least that I could do to still keep up with appearances? What's the least that I could do and still feel like I'm secure in my wealth and I can do the things that I want? No, she gave without respect to that. She gave as an act of worship. She gave out of her poverty while they contributed out of their abundance. The issue is the heart. The rich cling to the material things more than they cling to God because they say, well, I have all this money and so I can give this much and still have all of this. Whereas the poor widow hardly had anything and yet she says, here, take it. Take it. Take it all. Do they willingly offer everything to him? Or do they hold what they have with an open hand or a clenched fist? It's in your hand. God has given it to you. Are you going to hold it like this? Say, God, <laughs> you can have it because you gave it to me. Or is it more like, 
No, it's mine. I'll give just what I want to make sure that I look good, I do my part, whatever it may be. Jesus here clearly says, clearly demonstrates that a disciple is somebody who gives sacrificially and who gives to the point where it costs much. It costs much. One author said this, behind this kind of self-sacrificial giving lies an even greater value, namely total commitment to the kingdom of God. To give from poverty means your eyes are not on earthly rewards, but on treasures in heaven. The writer to the Hebrews describes God's faithful servants who have gone before us, who remained faithful to the end, even though they did not see the fulfillment of the promise. Their eyes were on the heavenly city rather than the earthly one. He continues on, he says, For Jesus, the value of the gift is not the amount given, but the cost to the giver. The value of a gift is not the amount given, but the cost to the giver. It's a mindset of saying, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. And you call me to be generous, to be worshipful, to live a life of sacrifice. And though it might hurt me in some senses, uh, in, 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 a, in an earthly way, I understand that this is for an eternal purpose. Giving is not only for the rich, it's for the poor. For the young, it's for the old, it's for all disciples of Jesus Christ, according to how he has sovereignly provided in our own lives. It's a mindset that says, this is God's, and he's given it to me, but he's given it to me to use for his glory. That might mean that you have means to purchase things to enjoy that you can bring others along to enjoy with you. That means he might give you the means to purchase things to use and enjoy to share with others. You have a really nice, fancy chainsaw. And you really enjoy it. Pastor James got really excited right there. That's awesome. It's expensive. It costs a lot of money. But you can use it. You can help other people with things by using it. But perhaps for some of us, rather than buying the chainsaw, we need to give that to a missionary. We need to give that to a project. We need to be willing to help somebody else out monetarily rather than purchasing that for yourself. And I can't say this is exactly what you need to do in each situation because God says in 2 Corinthians 9 that we are to resolve in our own heart. Each, must, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this next verse in 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. God has not given you stuff and money and things to fill your life with just for your own, but rather to be used by him, to be a blessing. We don't hoard it. Our second, Eden, is a little bit of a hoarder. You would walk into her room. She has her little desk. And on her desk are like two or three shoe boxes and purses and bags. And in it is just filled with all kinds of little things. She's like a squirrel, like gathering nuts for the winter. <laughs> and she's just like, well, that's mine. That's mine. I want to put it here. And, and it's like, what are you going to do with this? I don't know. I just like to look at it, right? And it's ridiculous. You move one thing, she knows it's gone. <laughs> it's like, how do you know that? <laughs> and we laugh at that funny illustration of gathering things and just keeping it for ourselves. But how often in our own life do we do that? Whether it's money, 
whether it's our own time and our own ability, whether it's our own possessions. Oh, this is mine. Over here. All right, God, you can have that little bit right there. Rather than saying, all of this is from you, God, I'm going to enjoy it. But if you want something, God, yeah, yeah, okay. Or if somebody needs something, yeah, feel free, take it. It costs much to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking just financially, though that is part of it. But it's a stewardship of the material goods, but also our own identification with Christ and living for him and not yourself. This widow says she gave all that she had to live on. Why? Because she placed the value of God's kingdom and God's values over her own. It wasn't her own desires, but rather it was God's. And that's a good reminder for us. It means daily placing God's kingdom and God's values above our own. Say, God, how are you going to use me and what I have today? It might be in a small way. It might be in a big way. But understand, whether rich or poor, we are called to live sacrificially. And in a human sense, it will cost us time, people, skill, money, effort. But it's what we were made for, to worship. God through our lives. It's an act of worship. Romans 12. Seat you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, spiritual worship. Presenting ourselves to God, saying, God, use us, use what I have anyway. Submitting ourselves to the suffering servant king, to the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up willingly. And what does he say? How will he not also give us all things? So the amazing thing is, when you give and you sacrifice in an act of worship, as you use the things that God has given you, how God blesses in return. We don't give for the blessing. It's not like, all right, God, I gave my offering this week. What's the return going to look like? Right? It's not an investment strategy. But as we faithfully give without respect to what we are going to get in return, it's amazing to see how God blesses. And it may not be, well, you gave $1,000 and here's 2000 back. It might be in a different way, a completely different way that you may not even expect. But we do it willingly. We are called to live sacrificially. Why? Because God is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not done. We hear this, we think, oh, okay, God. Oh, all right, Pastor Greg talking about giving money and living sacrificially. Okay, okay. We are called to do this because this is what God has done for us in Christ. I love that quote that Pastor James shared from Amy Carmichael. Do you have that, Pastor James, right there? Or is it in your binder up here? If I can read your handwriting. Good luck. When I consider the cross of Christ... How can anything that I do be considered a sacrifice? If I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything I do be considered a sacrifice? Meaning, what Christ did for us on the cross was so great, so immense, so immeasurable that anything that we do pales in comparison. But yet, it motivates us and it calls us to do the same. We are called to live sacrificially because our God himself sacrificed his son for us. So as we conclude this subsection here in the gospel of Mark, of what it means to be a disciple and, and who Jesus is and 
He is the suffering servant king who has come to give his life as a ransom for many. And he is calling you and I as his disciples to follow after him, denying ourselves. It's not about us. It's about him. And we deny ourselves and we take up our cross. That taking up our cross is identifying with Jesus, meaning I am with him. I am one of his. And we do that daily. And we follow after him. May we, as his disciples, live sacrificially, not promoting self, that we'd be willing to give whatever it is for his honor, for his glory, as his disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to look at your word and the challenge it is even in my own heart, Lord, of understanding that my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now you call us to something more. As a body, may we be a generous body. May we uh, give to the needs. May we see the needs. May we, through different avenues, use our lives to help others to serve you. Lord, help us not to promote ourselves, but to live for Christ and his kingdom. It's in his name we pray. Amen.